are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Daw Pound. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Good, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. The sun came out at least for a little while today, a little overcast now. Here in Auburn, Alabama, chilly in the studio as always. But I'm just sick and tired of the on and off rain, man. I'm I'm ready for it to just be sunny for once. Yeah, I really don't like the forecast. Whenever you wake up and it's like, oh, sweet, it's going to be cloudy, maybe a little bit today, but for mo- mo- for the most part, it's going to be extremely hot and sunny. And then you get halfway through the day and it just floods for about half an hour. And it's like, don't didn't expect that. Like yesterday, I had a softball game yesterday canceled because of the rain, and I was looking forward to going and playing, and I've had like four or five weeks of the softball season canceled. Hmm. It's just, it's really disappointing, really disappointing. But once again, number to call, 334-321-1390, text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you can reach out to us. Any questions you've got, whether it's Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, whatever's on your mind in the sports world, we'll talk to you about it. We want to hear from you Preseason depth chart series continuing, talking about the Auburn football depth chart, that is. We're moving into the defensive backfield. Specifically today, the quarterbacks will take a stab at safeties tomorrow. But we continue our preseason depth chart series at the quarterback position. I'll say this. This is the way that I'm I'm stabbing at it right here. I'm going to do two outside corners, and then I'll say nickelback slash quarterback number three. And I think that is different. I think the nickelback and quarterback number three I think you could see two different players that end up being, quote, starters or sharing a significant portion of the work depending on what the defense's goal is on any given play, whether whether they're going out there to defend pass, whether they're adding another body in there for run support. So we'll get to that as well. But the top of the quarterback depth chart has to be Roger McCreary at cornerback number one yeah I completely agree with you I actually I just went down and ranked the cornerbacks by talent but we we can do outside nickelback that's perfectly fine I think you can rank all of the corners and then have nickel as its own thing Uh, I'm down with doing that that's fine uh 86 total tackles over the course of his career had three interceptions last season nine uh pass deflections had a forced fumble last season I mean he, he did everything for Auburn he's their best cover corner pro football focus absolutely loves him he as passed, they should as they should he passed up potentially going in the third or fourth round last season in the NFL draft came back to Auburn for his senior year gonna work on his game I think he definitely is a second roundish kind of selection right now in my mind if he if he plays like he did last year uh Auburn's best co- cover corner hands down if he even improves just a little bit that's the trajectory that you can see right now going into the season is his draft stock there no I don't think it is but to be fair the way that players are evaluated and the way that these scouts go about their work you don't start slapping round projections and putting together those reports really until the end of the season and you have a full body of work throughout the year and by the end of the season for Roger McCreary we've talked about this with Auburn's schedule 
there's plenty of opportunities for Roger McCreary to be going up against some really good wide receiver cores on this schedule this year, namely Penn State early on. That's the one thing that I would point to on the Penn State football team where I'm like, yes, that is good. Penn State's got great wide receivers. LSU, of course, with Kayshawn Boutte, he's going to get matched up every single week with the best wide receiver on the opposing team and he's going to follow them around more than likely in a lot of man-to-man situations you talk about the first couple of weeks of the season you got Jahan Dotson over at Penn State then you got Kayshawn Boutte at LSU and both of those guys could be day one day two picks in the NFL draft next year or whenever they take off for the NFL draft those are high quality wide receivers in college football and that's through the first five weeks of the season and then you get to play Georgia just after that just after you play LSU you play Georgia you got Jermaine Burton you got Kyrus Jackson you got Eric Gilbert you got Darnell Washington there's a plethora of receiving threats there that will be more that will be the first game I think that we really get to see the depth of Auburn's defensive backfield tested where there is one through four, one through five, who are truly dangerous pass-catching options at Georgia, and they've got a quarterback that can distribute the football to every single one of those four or five high-quality pass-catching targets. You get into later in the season, of course, Alabama's going to have their studs at wide receiver, whether it be John Mechie third or A.J. Hall or Jalil Billingsley at tight end. They're going to have their guys at receiver. Mississippi State, the name of the game for them is the Air Raid. There are just so many good receiving cores on Auburn's schedule this year that Roger McCreary is going to be able to load up his resume with. And if he can just play well in every single one of those ball games, I think his draft stock soars into the second round at least. And that's something that Auburn did pretty well last season, I believe, up until the Alabama game, is they held every single team that they matched up with. They held their top receiver uh, to... to to minimal damage I mean they they did almost nothing and I think a lot of that was attributed to the fact that McCreary was just simply such a good cover corner so I agree with you if he improves just slightly I think his draft stock's going to go up and NFL teams are waking up to Auburn DBs talk about knowing Benogany going in the first round Carlton Davis was a high selection Jamel Dean was a high selection you just talk about all of these corners recently for Auburn Auburn's beginning to get respect at the cornerback position now safety that's a little ways away I think this year could go a long way to that if Smoke Monday can put together a complete result and a complete resume in 2021 but Roger McCreary could follow in the footsteps and be another first round selection just like Noah Igbenogany and we thought that that was a stretch when he got selected we were surprised about that just like most folks were I even look at some of the smaller teams on this schedule and I even leave off guys like Traylon Burks at Arkansas I feel so bad that I forgot to mention that he will be a guy that Roger McCreary will go up against I think that's a particularly interesting matchup because Traylon Burks possesses that physicality that you will see at the next level that's a game you could circle where if Roger McCreary does a really good job of shutting down Traylon Burks that could be the type of game on the schedule where you look October 16 midway through the year if you've put together a nice body of work you did well against Penn State you did well against LSU you did well against Georgia and then folks begin to key in on McCreary they see him do well against Traylon Burks who is one of the highest valued NFL draft prospects at wide receiver going into this class or whatever he decides to take off Traylon Burks if they shut him down if he shuts him down then that could be a game where scouts are like Roger McCreary without a doubt 
second round, right? And, and he really begins to pick up steam. Second half of the schedule, Ole Miss is always throwing the football. You do well in that game. Texas A&M's got some good receivers, of course, as well. So just breaking down that schedule, a lot of opportunity there for, for Roger McCreary. And I just wanted to point out that Arkansas game in specific, considering it's at that midseason point, and that's when draft evaluations – you're beginning to see more of a complete body of work. You're beginning to see a lot of bullet points on draft evaluations and on draft reports for these players. You've gotten to see enough games of these guys, and maybe that game midseason against Traylon Burks could be a major point of emphasis for Roger McCreary on some of these reports. Let's go down to second on your list here for cornerbacks. Second on my list for cornerbacks, and I believe this is potentially going to be the cornerback uh, that star- starts opposite of McCreary. It will uh, be. It's uh, Dreshawn Miller, I believe, is the guy that's going to be starting opposite of him. Former West Virginia player, uh, pro football focus, absolutely loves him as well. Uh, I think he's going to be he's going to be able to like McCreary keep up with some of the more physical receivers in this league. I believe he had nine pass breakups last season. I don't have it right in front of me, but I think he had quite a bit of pra- pass breakups last season at West Virginia. He was a Big Twelve all, all Big Twelve selection. Uh, he played really really well at the junior college that he played at as well. He had uh, I got that right in front of me. Eighty five tackles, six tackles for loss, and two picks in two seasons at Eastern Arizona College. Just a really talented player. Uh, 6'2", 190. He's got good size for a corner. Uh, It's something that I've talked about on this show. I I really don't like undersized cornerbacks. I like them to at least be six foot or or taller. And so uh, Miller definitely fits the bill for me. So yeah, opposite McCreary, I think he's going to be locked down as well. Last season, he had eight pass breakups, according to Phil Stills magazine. So not bad. Not bad. That's one of the higher totals, if not the leading total. Yeah, I believe it is. It's the leading total for West Virginia defensive backs last year. So Dreshawn Miller played a big part in one of the best secondaries in college football. We've talked about that at length. West Virginia just did not give up pass yards. And that's shocking to say about a Big 12 defense, considering not only are Big 12 defenses not very good, but also the Big 12 is known for throwing the football. And they were not giving up a lot of yards. And Dreshawn Miller had a big part to do in that. I agree with you. Dreshawn Miller, I'm expecting to be the second starting cornerback on this field. You got to love him for his experience. Also, I said this on yesterday's show, it has to mean something to you. It has to carry weight when you talk about this coaching staff went to the transfer portal and found like seven different guys on defense or however many it was. Every single one of those guys that this coaching staff sought after in the transfer portal, you have to know that they want those guys on this program. It, It was like, the first level of recruiting for this new coaching staff and they were trying to fill needs in terms of shifting to a new scheme and also needs that they felt like this previous coaching staff left in terms of roster holes you have to weigh that when considering these guys playing time that this coaching staff must have absolutely adored Dreshawn Miller and he was one of the first guys to transfer into the program if not the first he was around that same time as Eku Leota so I weigh that a lot. I think he ends up starting, but that's not to say that Jalen Simpson and Nehemiah Pritchett won't get significant time at cornerback as well, because in this day and age, you got to have three or four guys in college football that can cover. And Auburn is about as deep as any team in the country when you talk about quality players that can cover. Jalen Simpson and Nehemiah Pritchett did it really well last year in this league in starting capacities when guys were banged up. 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. When, and, and looking down the depth chart, talking about Pritchett and Simpson, I had a really hard time deciding which guy I wanted over because I believe Pritchett played a lot more than Simpson did last year. But Simpson I just, did that due to injury. Yeah, and I just, but I'm just still really high on Jalen Simpson. For whatever reason, after seeing him in the Kentucky game, I'm just really high on Simpson. But I, I do have Pritchett as my number three corner on my list. Again, he came in relief, uh, and, he, and he played really well. Quietly was one of the better cornerbacks in the nation, according Ten to Pro Football Focus. Ten pass breakups. Ten. That's solid that's to simpson's three but once again simpson was injured for a large portion of the season very solid corner he was a guy that i was not incredibly high on up until just a few months ago when i really started looking into some of the numbers and some of some of his uh st- statistics we all remember that interception he got against lsu that wasn't necessarily a play specifically made by him finley just kind of flicked it over to him and it, the throw was too high but still he made the play um really really talented corner again well I've talked all this offseason you and I have about this secondary and how much potential there is and how much talent there is and the fact that Pritchett is not one of the starters and he is one of the better cornerbacks in the SEC at least according to pro football focus says a lot about the depth of this uh secondary we're going to be talking about Nehemiah Pritchett next year in the same way that we're talking about Roger McCreary right now I think Auburn more than likely will lose I, I think Auburn for sure is losing Roger McCreary, of course. He's going to take the jump to the next level. I have a feeling that Dreshawn Miller probably will take the next step. That's just me guessing. That's just me estimating. But it's way too early for anybody to really give too much credence to what I just said there with Dreshawn Miller taking the next step because he does have another year of eligibility after this year, and he could decide to come back and do the exact same thing that Roger McCreary did to try and build his draft stock up because I have a hard time believing that Miller, that, that Auburn is going to have two guys drafted day one and day two of the nfl draft so maybe he'll have some opportunity to come back next year and build his draft stock up as well but he's somebody that i do think is on the fringe to take off pritchett could leave and simpson could leave all of those guys could leave but i think two of those guys at least end up staying and i think those two guys are simpson and pritchett because there's real significant playing time for them next year in starting roles that is going to help them build up their draft stock and we're going to be talking about nehemiah pritchett the exact same way that we're talking about roger mccreary if not in a much higher fashion if not talking even higher about him than we're talking about roger mccreary at this moment because for him to have had 10 pass breakups last year the thing is folks wanted to throw away from roger mccreary last year they knew about him they knew how good he was you try and throw away from that number one island corner on any football team pritchett was the receiver of the new targets on the other side of the field and he shut it down and even when he wasn't able to get a pass breakup yards after catch was not a thing for Nehemiah Pritchett he was not allowing you to get yak he was not going to allow you to get upfield he's one of the more sure tacklers which is also a reason why I think he can end up at Nickelback because of because of his ability to help you out and run stopping I've got Pritchett above Simpson but I'm not mad at the fact that you've got Simpson above above Pritchett because I think these guys share a lot of the playing time at outside corner I actually think that Pritchett though will get more snaps by the end of the year because of his ability to move into the slot corner or nickelback position. I don't think we'll really see Jalen Simpson there. No, I agree with you. I, actually, I have Pritchett third. I just am still really high on Jalen Simpson. Oh, yeah. It's because after seeing that Kentucky game, I thought he was going to be a breakout player. Obviously, he got injured. But I'm still I, – I have Pritchett at third because of how much potential he has as a cornerback and how much more he pl- pl- uh, time and experience he had based on last year. 
But again, I not to say that Simpson is a bad player. I sure. just still am very optimistic about him as a cornerback. You look at his uh, stats in the Kentucky game. I believe he had four tackles, tackle for a loss, and a pass breakup. And that tackle for a loss, he made a nasty hit. It, he he could be another really physical corner for Auburn, and I, I would love to see him get involved at least just a little bit. Some other guys that could get into the mix at outside cornerback positions, A.D. Diamond, or also known as Armani Diamond, or maybe I should flip that Armani Diamond, also known as A.D. Diamond. That's a guy that could get in the mix. Also, Juco transfer recently added. Roe Torrance could also get into that mix. I know there's been some high praise for Roe Torrance in terms of pushing him to accept more responsibility at the quarterback position. And as a Juco transfer, he is probably ready to step in and get some playing time right away. I have him listed as my fifth guy out of ranking these cornerbacks. And I, it's simply because I think this coaching staff is really high on him. And then the other thing, 6'3", uh, that's that's 6'3", 195 pounds, according to Auburn's website. Really big physical corner. I believe he was the player, defensive player of the year at the junior college level that he was playing at. Really, really talented guy. We could see him... Uh, he step into a larger role not this season but maybe next year more college football experience too than diamond right. diamonds walking in as a true freshman so i'm with you i'd have torrance at five as well let's move to nickelback then this is a spot that i think is reserved for two guys that are going to share time depending on situations kaufman may offer you a little bit more in the way of run stopping whereas pritchett may play a more true cornerback role if you're more concerned about having that third or fourth cornerback on the field as you and i were mentioning in terms of ranking these corners if you're going into like a dime set or something like that and this is a player that's ending up playing slot corner even if you're in the nickel and he's playing slot corner you still only have three cornerbacks out there Pritchett's somebody that may offer you more in pass coverage but he's still an excellent run stopper as pointed out only 25 tackles last year but he is one of those more one of those guys that does not allow yak there is no yards after catch he showcased that in his pass coverage last year and his ability to to just be in the right spots to to always be there when the ball was thrown and to make sure tackles out in the open field that has to translate to run stopping for me so that has been the conversation Kaufman versus Pritchett and honestly they're probably going to share a lot of time at the nickelback position for situational purposes right I agree with you and then as far as guys that are that are death pieces behind them you know obviously Tennyson's got to fit in somewhere at that nickel spot maybe at some point in the season and then by Darius Knighton is a guy that people have also forgotten about I feel like he could potentially as a fifth year senior step into play just a little bit of playing time it's those safeties that you look at that could possibly slot into that third cornerback or right. that nickel spot. It just, once again, it depends on situationally and schematically what Auburn's looking for from that spot on any given play, whether they're inserting a more safety-like figure, which would be Kaufman in this instance, or right. going to some of those other guys that you mentioned by Darius Knighton or Ladarius Tennyson. I've got Tennyson there because he played that spot last year. Now, he wasn't, he didn't look overly comfortable nobody looked overly comfortable at the nickelback position because this was a spot that tut played last year and we all saw how that panned out for christian tud not currently on the roster and not in the nfl either this was a spot that there was constant miscommunication on coverage downfield between the nickelback slash cornerback number three and then the safety and a lot of times it was smoke monday yeah, absolutely. And then also a guy, again, I'm not. I'm just saying as far as depth goes, this is what Auburn has. They've also got Pritchett there. who, or Yeah, or P Puckett, I'm sorry. Yeah, my Zion, Zion Puckett. Pritchett definitely yeah, there. Yeah, Pritchett, of course, definitely there. Zion Puckett, my mistake. I think he could also be a guy that, that as far as Auburn's depth goes, the fact that he's like third, fourth, fifth on in terms of Auburn's options, I think says a lot about, again, the depth of his secondary.
Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we talk about the strengths of this unit, also the weaknesses. Where might these guys be able to improve? You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. What are your thoughts? Give us your depth chart at cornerback. Keep up with us as we go through the preseason depth chart series. It's towards the end of it. We're doing safeties tomorrow, and then we'll give our best effort at special teams, especially in terms of returning kicks. Got a lot of good stuff planned for the rest of the day, though. We're going to rank our top five SEC defenses Talk a bit about breakout players in the SEC. Cole Kublik had Javarius Johnson in that mix. Kind of curious if it really will be Johnson or if somebody else. A lot of great stuff to talk about. We want to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Still talking about this cornerback unit. And honestly, this is one of the deepest defensive backfields, specifically at quarterback. I'll take a step further. I'll say cornerbacks is one of the most, this is one of the deepest in the country. Safety, maybe I won't go there yet because quality depth is, is a thing. But quality depth at quarterback, this is one of the deepest in the country. Let's talk about the strengths of this unit before we get to the weaknesses. And been a part of that for me, you've been talking about size for pretty much all of these guys, you love their size. I love their physicality, which is manifested through that. Yeah, absolutely. You look at some of the guys that will be starting for Auburn. Dreshawn Miller, 6'2". If Roe Torrance gets in the mix again, he's 6'3". Pritchett, 6'1". McCreary's sitting at 6 feet tall, but he's 190 pounds. And again, he's Auburn's best cover corner, so I can't complain there. Simpson, 6'1". I mean, everybody that Auburn's going to be playing this year, the majority of the players that they're going to be playing are not undersized, and that's something that I would really do value. And then you talk about the physicality. You talk about guys like Jalen Simpson who can lay the wood. So Auburn's definitely got a lot of positive things going for them in terms of the physical attributes of this unit. They are not undersized. They are physical, and I believe they, they can play in the SEC. And they're good at man coverage. I think they're fine at zone coverage as well, but I really like what these guys offer in man-to-man situations. They always find themselves where the football is. I talk about Nehemiah Pritchett. Spoke about him in the first segment of the show today, and I said, look, this is a guy who was not giving up yak. This was not there, – there was hardly any yards after catch for Nehemiah Pritchett last year. If he wasn't getting a pass breakup, he was getting a tackle, and he was right there. You were going to have to make a physical catch – to get the ball over one of these corners, whether it be Roger McCreary, Nehemiah Pritchett. We haven't gotten to see Dreshawn Miller in person yet, of course, but Jalen Simpson fits into that same mold as well. I think these guys, on top of the fact that they're physical, they also find themselves always at the right positions when it comes to -to man-to-man coverage. They're right there. They keep in step with these receivers. They don't make it easy for opposing receiving cores and quarterbacks. No, they really don't. You look at SEC StatCat as well. You talk about, you know, what is this secondary actually giving up? Uh, the majority of Auburn's plays last season, whenever they went to the air, uh, were somewhere between seventeen or se- somewhere between seven and ten yards, and that was uh, that was uh, third best in the SEC in terms of keeping it within seven or ten yards and not giving up explosive plays. Auburn secondary, what, what, whenever they did get bring the guys down, and again we'll talk about tackling in just a little bit. Whenever they brought them down, they brought them down. Weaknesses for this unit. What could they do better this year? 
I think that that you and I were talking about this during the break just a little bit. I think it is tackling just a little bit. Um, th- this group can can cover exceptionally well, um, but they're going to have to learn how to tackle just a little bit better. And physically, you know, we talk about the physicality of this unit. I think they're incredibly physical in coverage. Jalen Simpson, I think, is is can can definitely lay a hit, but they're going need to they're going to need to be able to tackle guys in space and get across the field uh, better than they did last season. Something that was talked about with Smoke Monday and a couple of these guys is they can they don't play well horizontally. They don't get to they don't get right to left quickly, and this is that's something that this unit is going to have to learn how to do better. That was an observation that I had last year that doesn't seem to be as good at setting the edge or making plays out in open space on the perimeter than maybe what we saw from previous Auburn defensive backfields. But to be fair, Jeremiah Denson, Stephen Roberts, uh, Daniel Thomas, trying to think of other guys, Javaris Davis, all those guys, that was that was their strengths. They were pretty good in coverage, but I felt like they offered so much in run stopping they were great at getting to the football and they were almost always sure tacklers last year I wasn't as impressed with it I think that some of these cornerbacks that are now going on year two with major playing time that's an area that I think we could see them improve I think that they're incredibly physical I think they find themselves at the right spots that helps them make those tackles but in terms of true run stopping I'm not talking about them making a tackle after pass coverage or something like that and being right there next to a guy I'm talking about actually honing in on the football taking the right angle and finding yourself in a position to make a tackle and run stopping that's an area that I think you could see these guys improve in and then the other thing and you were talking about this during the break so I'll let you take this away communication in terms of not having breakdowns in coverage downfield yeah, absolutely. It's something that Auburn struggled with a couple different times last season. His communication, I think, specifically between Smoke Monday and whoever whoever he w- he was he was in the in the defensive backfield with that was kind of alongside him. Whoever was playing nickel, there seemed to be a lot of breakdowns in terms of you know where guys were supposed to be, and there was a lack of communication. However, I will say this. Auburn was third best in the SEC in the amount of explosive plays that they gave up last season in the passing game. That was behind Georgia and Texas A&M. Believe it or not, actually, Alabama was sixth. They gave up 32 explosive plays. Auburn was third with uh, with 28 there. But there were too many times, especially as the season went on, that Auburn would just break down and Smoke Monday would just break down. And obviously, if you watched any of Auburn last season, if you watched them late into the season, a lot of fans remember that Iron Bowl, specifically the first touchdown from scrimmage where Smoke Monday was just lost and the, the, the receiver running free was just wide open. So in order for Auburn to make a push in some of these bigger games, some of these bigger moments against Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU, they're going to have to communicate better because this is what, what Brian Harson wants to do is to trim down. If Auburn's going to lose in those games, at least make it competitive. Don't let it be 42-7. to Go out there and at least try to win, and communication on the back end is definitely going to help. Couldn't agree with you more, and I think that's stuff that gets rectified going into this year. We'll be back with more of On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours 
Local Sports Talk Radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7 Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Atlanta Braves, they continue to win. Two-game winning streak right here, 7-3 in their last 10. They are a game out of first place in the NL East as the Philadelphia Phillies sit at 59-54. and The Braves at 58-55. and Braves won yesterday against the Cincinnati Reds 3-2. The Philadelphia Phillies lost to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Three-game series for each of these teams here. This is a chance. Now, the Cincinnati Reds are a good baseball team in their own right, sitting at 61-53 and overall. And, of course, once again, I go back to that is a better record than the Braves. So if you're just looking at it from a standings perspective, the Braves are going to have to pretty much win this division. The wild card is more out of reach than winning the division is. When you talk about you're only a game back to the Phillies and you're like five to the Reds in the wild card at the moment, this is a major opportunity for the Atlanta Braves, not only to, to gain some ground on the Cincinnati Reds in the wild card race, and the Reds aren't even in the wild card spot at the moment because that spot is reserved for the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. Right. But this is also a chance, considering the Phillies have a tough series against the Los Angeles Dodgers, for you to possibly take first place. Exactly. I was talking to a friend on Sunday about the Braves, and we were watching watching one of their games, and it was just about to wrap up. And I asked him, because I didn't know necessarily about the postseason chances, I said, I said, do you think the Braves have a shot? And he was like, oh, absolutely. I think they've got a shot in the wild card. And I went and looked it up. I'm like, actually, the way that it stands right now is Atlanta is sitting at fifth, outside of the wild card and it goes Braves Mets Reds Padres Dodgers now the Braves are sitting at fourth in the wild card but I agree with you if they are going to make the postseason they're just gonna have to straight up win the division outright they're actually much further out of the wild card spot than I originally thought they were a couple days ago they were five games behind the Reds but even once again I mentioned that the Reds aren't even in the wild card spot they're four and a half games out of that spot the Braves are seven games out of the wild card spot that once again I don't think they're going to catch the San Diego Padres or the Los Angeles Dodgers however that shakes out for that wild card for those two wild card spots so I don't think the Braves find their way into that mix but once again you are only a game out of first place in the NL East and tough series coming up for the Phillies whereas the Braves are looking at a relatively easy month here I, I, I don't think that the series with the Reds is easy by any means but it's definitely not one of the best teams that you could play in the National League. It's not the Padres or the Dodgers. It's not like what the Phillies are having to deal with right now in playing the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is a manageable series that you could take two out of three in. And then after that, you get to follow it up with a series against the Nationals and the Marlins, yep. two teams that are 12-plus games below 500. There's a real opportunity here for the Braves to not only take first place, but to create some space between them and the Phillies who are dealing with a bit of a rough patch here with their schedule. So huge opportunity for the Atlanta Braves and stuff to keep up with as the pennant race heats up. Yeah, and you, again, you look at you look at the uh, the Philly schedule, and it kind of goes up and down. Obviously, they're going to have to finish out this series against the Dodgers. Then they get to play the Reds. Then they get to get to play the Diamondbacks. That's three free wins right there. Then you get to play the Padres, the Rays, the Diamondbacks again, and then you finish it off with the uh, the Nationals. But just simply having to play uh, the the Dodgers and the Reds and the Padres there. I mean, that's that's tough. And the Rays going and, all the way the to Rays, August twenty yeah. fifth. There's some real. There, there's some losses on that schedule whereas it, the Braves yeah. if they can at least just handle business against the Nationals and the Marlins which at times has been it's easier said than done of course and it's easier said than done with anything in Atlanta sports but 
like I said, easier schedule for the Braves going through August 25th than it is for the Phillies. Exactly, and then they get the Orioles after the Marlins. It's like that's a stretch of Nationals, Marlins, Orioles, where I could see Atlanta. I'm not saying this is going to happen, obviously, because they flip-flop back and forth between winning and losing, but that could be those could be three series where Atlanta could find themselves winning 2-1, maybe potentially sweeping the Orioles there, and they're looking really good heading into their, the tough back half of this month where they have to play the Yankees, the Giants, and the Dodgers. So Atlanta's got a lot of really good stuff going for them right now. They're heating up at the right time, and if they can continue to get hot over the course of the next nine games, they could uh, find themselves in a really good position heading into uh, late August. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We want to hear from you, anything that's on your mind, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, whatever's going on. I'm sure you saw Sharif Cooper nail a game-winning three for the Atlanta Hawks yesterday in the summer league. He heard us, Noah. He heard us talking about a shot. He heard us. Five for eight from three. Five for eight, 21 points for the game. I believe he shot 57% from the field. <clears throat> six assists. There, or six there, turnovers, six, excuse me. Six turnovers. Did he have, uh, he had nine assists, but six turnovers again? Yeah, six turnovers. So again, he's going to have to, he's going to have to, uh, man, he's got to figure that out. He can't be turning the ball over all the time like that because he is not okay. He might have shot well for for one game in the summer league. He is not going to shoot like that in the NBA every single game. He's going to fi- have to figure out a way to cut down on the turnovers. I don't want people thinking that I'm knocking him for bringing up the turnovers, but th- I saw that on a stat line and I groaned. Mm-hmm. I was like that that borderline. Yes, the Hawks won, but you can point to in a close ball game where they did only win 84 to 83. And once again, this is the summer league. It's really not that serious, but it is for players trying to make the roster. You go back and you look at that ball game and you look to one player has six turnovers, which is overwhelmingly more than anybody else on the floor for both teams. You point to six turnovers and you think, man, one of those might've cost us this game. If that shot didn't go in at the end, right there, there's just, it was a tight ball game and every possession counts Six turnovers is giving it away like candy. Right. Well, when you talk about what it gave away, it was it was uh, momentum. If you go back and watch highlights, there are two or two or three Sharif Cooper turnovers that you see where it leads to fla- it leads to uh, fast break points, easy money, easy dunks, and layups on the other end. And then all of a sudden, the Pacers were starting to climb back in it off of those turnovers. I mean, it almost did cost them. Uh, and, and again, Cooper's not going to shoot five of eight every single game. They're not going to let him shoot eight threes. Uh, every single game so uh, props to Cooper for for finding his shot in his second game of the summer league I don't think it's going to continue but I would love to see him continue to work on it and again you got to cut down on turnovers in order for your entire team to be successful because you are a you're the Walmart brand of Trey Young right now you got to be able to find your shot and you got to stop turning the ball over if you can do both those things you'll find yourself in a starting position at maybe another place in the NBA and I do wonder how the Hawks have evaluated, maybe even other teams that have evaluated Sharif Cooper at this point because it's six assists through two performances at this point. But, or did I say assist again? Yeah, it's six. Six turnovers. In both but, games. Right, but he's had nine, ten assists in both games as well. So he is distributing the basketball, but he's also distributing it to the other, to the other team. Yeah, he's so, got to be able to. He's got to be able to figure out. Like, wh- he's got to be able to manage when to not try and make a fancy pass. You know what I'm saying? And I'm curious how other teams evaluate this because I, I brought this up just a moment ago. I said I groaned when I saw the six turnovers on his stat sheet yesterday because I was like, man, this is such a great game. But I wonder what that look is for a coaching staff. We're like, is it worth it? 
is it worth it for this guy that's balling out right now in the summer league offensively but also is it worth it to take the baggage that is six turnovers that's a question that a lot of teams will have to figure out and namely right now immediately it's the Atlanta Hawks but I'm rooting for the guy I hope he makes the roster because I do think there's a lot of potential there for Sharif Cooper you just have to slow it down yeah I completely agree with you you would you agree with me that he's probably if in order for his career to continue on an upward trajectory and the trajectory hasn't even really started yet but he's gonna have to find himself on another team potentially because Trey Young's probably gonna be continue to be the guy in Atlanta I think Atlanta's a good location if he can actually make the roster because he won't be put into a position where he has to be the guy he can play 12 minutes a game and develop behind one of the, the the NBA's best at the position in terms of being a two-way player, being able to score, also being able to distribute, or or a multiple-tool player. He's not just like a, a Russell Westbrook who's a score-first guy. Trey Young can score first, but he's also an exceptional distributor of the basketball in that pick-and-roll system that they're running with the Atlanta Hawks. I think there's a lot to learn there from Trey Young. I think it's an exceptional location if he can make the roster. The problem is... It's a very, very small spot left on that roster, and I don't know if it necessarily goes to a point guard when you look at how the team is made up at this spot. And I don't know if it goes to a rookie point guard who has turnover issues right? because when you put him out there for those 10 to 12 minutes, Sharif Cooper's plus-minus was only one yesterday. It was plus one yesterday. There was a couple of other players on the Hawks who had plus eight, plus nine. When Sharif Cooper is inserted onto the floor and Trey Young goes off, what the Atlanta Hawks are hoping to do anytime that Trey Young leaves the floor, what the Atlanta Hawks are hoping to do is to keep the game tied. They don't want to see a run go on for the other team. They don't want the other team to make up significant ground. They just want to trade buckets. Of course, they would love to add to their lead also, but at the worst, they want to keep the game tied because when Trey Young comes back in, he offers them the ability and the offensive firepower to be able to, if they were behind, to chisel into a lead for the up from the other team or to possibly add to their own lead. All that I mean is, in terms of plus minus, they want to keep it even when Trey Young walks off the floor. Turnovers from Sharif Cooper jeopardizes that, and that's evidenced in his plus minus. Now, granted, yesterday he was in the positive. He had a plus one, so he achieved that. But I, I don't know what his plus-minus was from his first game. Nonetheless, it was, though... It was like negative one or two. Okay. So, you see, he's hovering around that zero that I would like to see from him coming in as a bench player. But still, the six turnovers jeopardizes mm-hmm. that when you're inserting him for 10 or 12 minutes because he's not going to score 20-plus points in that time period. He's not going to get nine assists. So is the is that assist-to-turnover ratio, that's what you look at. You don't look at the fact that he had nine assists. You look at the fact that he had nine assists to six turnovers because he's not going to get nine assists in 12 minutes. That's all going to scale down, and now all of a sudden it becomes three assists to two turnovers, and were those two turnovers ex- excruciatingly costly that jeopardize your ability to keep a game close or did it spark a run from the other team whatever it may be that's what is going to war right now and talking about Sharif Cooper being able to make an NBA team specifically the Hawks who have a very small spot open on that roster for a point guard if is there another team in the NBA right now that could use a flashy distributor distributor like Cooper coming off the bench there's plenty of teams that need a backup point guard if there there's was plenty of teams if there was one that you would like to see him go to what team would it be well when I was watching the NBA draft, 
and the Lakers were a possibility. Yeah. The 76ers were a possibility. I was drooling. I was like, please, one of these teams, one of these organizations that win and, and win consistently right now and have been at the top of their league, namely the Sixers for the last four or five seasons. The Lakers are getting there now again, though, on a on a repeated basis. I think they bounce back and be a top three team in the Western Conference, if not the top team in the Western Conference. I just want you to get that opportunity. And at the moment, that is not in the cards because he's he's on the Atlanta Hawks but with that being said if the Hawks don't end up signing him then they couldn't end up he could end up getting an opportunity elsewhere but the Lakers obviously they're working through things with Dennis Schroeder also they just added Mac McClung the former Texas Tech at Georgetown superstar to their to a contract and I think it's like a training camp contract so it doesn't necessarily mean they made the roster right now those spots aren't open because the G League, or excuse me, the Summer League hasn't finished yet. Those spots will reopen up after the Summer League, but these teams are all right now watching all these other squads play, and they're trying to figure out how to fill these spots open on their team. And maybe somebody out there does see something that they like in Sharif Cooper. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Dan is on the line with us. Dan, how's it going today? Hey, guys. Yeah, when he initially got, um, Sharif initially got picked by Atlanta, I wasn't really sure how to think of it, but if you look at it this way, okay, you got a guy in Trey Young who who is a phenomenal talent, but you know he, he's going to probably get you in the playoffs from here on out. It looks like him; he's that kind of player, but he's not a really big guy. And so, if you know that you're going to be in the playoffs, and you know that you, that he's going to get all that wear and tear, you probably be good to have a, a point guard that can can like facilitate and and. You know, if, if if you can take minutes away from Trey Young throughout the whole season to where he's like healthy and ready to go in the playoffs, then then it's probably really worth having a really good backup point guard who probably would get good minutes, maybe not in the playoffs as much. But I, I mean, Trey Young's not like like a huge muscular tough guy who's never going to get injured. I mean, I mean he is. I mean he is. A, small guy and he got hurt in the playoffs you're you're spot on I think this is a great perspective that that we haven't been talking about and honestly that I didn't think about too much and I I don't know if the Hawks are viewing it that way on their roster but you know when he went down with an injury in the playoffs and it it was down to Lou Williams and and Herter and whatnot and, and that wasn't exactly what you were looking for at point guard and in that system in Atlanta that pick and roll system they're looking for a guard especially at that backup spot, that can still get the basketball to John Collins and Clint Capella on the pick-and-roll game. And Sharif Cooper is perfect for that. Yeah, and, and I think the shooting will come around with Sharif. I mean, you know, I, 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 y'all might have heard or whatever. He, he did hit the game winner from three-point range the other day. So, you know, I, I'm sure that will all get better. Yeah. You know, so I, I think he'll find his way groove. I mean, he, he can definitely pass. We all know that. I mean, I mean, probably seen some of the best pass we've ever seen for the few games he played at Auburn. But, uh, you know. I just think it's probably an issue, like I said, where you know you, Trey Young. I mean, that guy's phenomenal, but how much can he carry the load, you know, through a full season and all through the playoffs over and over again? I mean, it's just he's just not that physical kind of guy, you know, that that you know may last forever. So if you want to really make his career go a long ways, it'd be great to have a backup guy that can can definitely uh, you know take some of those minutes away. So anyway, appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it, Dan. That was Dan on the line with us, 334-321-1390. I want to compare Trey Young to another guy that has dealt with many injuries in his career, especially in the last four or five seasons. Look no further than the lookalike for or, or the player comp for Trey Young when he was coming out of college, Steph Curry. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And those guys get, at some point, this year will be the year where people really key in on Trey Young even more now that the Hawks are a much more dangerous team. They rough them up, man. They don't let them just run around, especially in the playoffs. So Dan, Dan has a good point there. Once again, though, I go back to, and I agree with, with Sharif being a good fit for the Atlanta Hawks system. I'm just a little concerned, though, that the Atlanta Hawks don't want to deal with the six turnovers at the moment, the turnover issue. Yeah, sure. And I, I definitely do think because of Sharif Cooper's talented court vision, he will eventually, if he gets to play in the NBA long enough, cut down on those. I agree with that. And I think someone else will give him, somebody else will be willing to put up with it. Somebody else will be willing to say, yeah, we like this guy's potential more than more than the turnovers. Obviously, the turnovers aren't great, but we like this guy's potential and we're willing to ride with it and try and work that out of his game. Are the Hawks that team? I don't know because, once again, I think they can go out and go and get a, a veteran guard that can still pass the basketball and spell some minutes for Trey Young when it gets to playoff time. It doesn't necessarily have to be, Sharif. So let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line. we got about three minutes left in the first hour of the Wednesday edition of the show. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's head to the phone lines. 334-321-1390. Drew is on the line with us. Drew, how you doing today? I'm all right, man. How about you? Been doing real well. So uh, the comments about Cooper, you know, I wish that he had gotten to play a whole season. Uh, I wish that he had come back for another year because I think he really needed it. Um, I, I think the uh, the other kid that went went into the draft probably was as high as he was going to go uh, to be able to develop for another year possibly. But Cooper had a lot of upside to come back. But, you know, the issues with Cooper are that he can pass and he's flashy, but he is obviously turnover prone, and it's hard to reduce turnovers, the ones that he has if you're a playmaker. So if you watch and see, you know, what his turnovers were, were actually like, it's because he was trying to force something in and make a play, and that is very difficult for a playmaker to, to stop. But he, he can't shoot. He's got a really horrible, hard-to-repeat, uh, shot in motion, and yes, he will get better. He hit the game winner just the other day, and it was it was you know he he, he shot it like he meant it. But the issue that I have, you know, for a, a small point guard player like Cooper, if you look at someone like Allen Iverson, what Iverson had was athleticism. You know, he he could jump like a bug. It, it was almost like he put both feet on the rim and he would hang in the air and and draw contact. Cooper just does not have the athleticism. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure if, if he can dunk if he's by himself in the gym. So the athleticism is just not there. He would have really benefited from coming back one more year and would have probably dominated the league uh, all SEC and would have probably uh, gone you know early first round like he was projected until they got to see that he was, he was small and 150 pounds. And he would have made some money on NIL as well. I agree he with you. would have made a lifetime fortune. I bet you that kid would have made well over a million dollars in the six months or so of NIL. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, I understand the appeal. I mean, heck, I I'll be fifty years old soon, and I wanted to play. I, I want to play now. In my head, I still can. But you know, he probably got some bad advice um, of, of going early. And that's very possible, especially considering mock drafts everywhere. 
had him at you know at 22 or, or no later than 25 but drew we're about to get out of here for the end of hour number one we appreciate the call yep that was drew on the line with us if you want to call in 334-321-1390 or text us at 334-564-1840 we're gonna head to hour number two now we'll be back on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Good calls there in that first hour. Keep them coming. 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We've heard from Dan. We've heard from Drew. Excellent calls. Keep them coming our way. 334-321-1390. Hour number two here. We've got a lot of good stuff coming your way. We're going to rank the top five SEC defense. Talk about potential breakout players in the SEC this upcoming year. Cole Kublik had an interesting list that featured an Auburn player, as well as we're going to play another edition of In, On the Fence, or Out. And maybe it was called something else last week. I feel really bad. In, Out, On the Fence. I, I can't remember what order, what order I had it, but it's another variation of Start, Bench, Cut. And we're talking about college football teams. So all that to look forward to here in the second hour of the show. Let's get to something that we have been meaning to get to, but we have failed to since earlier this week. Ranking the top five SEC defenses. We've ranked all 14. We've done the others up until this point. Now we're down to our final five. There's some omissions here. If you listened to the show earlier in the week, if you didn't, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We left out LSU, Florida, Kentucky. Those teams did not make it into our top five. And this one may be a bit of a shocker for some folks. And you and I have the exact same top five. So we'll just talk about each of these teams in detail. At five, this may be a shocker for some folks. But look past the stats. Mississippi State's got a great defense or a good defense. Yeah, absolutely. They return eight starters uh, from a defensive unit that was fifth in the SEC last season in yards allowed per play. They allowed 5.59 yards per play. The teams ahead of them were Kentucky, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. And I would say that the uh, A&M, Bama, and Georgia all had really, really good defenses last year, all things considered. So for for Mississippi State to be up there, I think uh, I think says something about the way that this defense didn't necessarily bend. And I think when you look at the statistics on the surface you look at the 28 points a game allowed you look at the 263 yards passing allowed that was 10th in the sec 105th nationally i think part of that has to come with the fact that this offense for mississippi state was so terrible and could not sustain drives it put a lot of pressure on this defense to perform and obviously you look at yards per play they were pretty good at not at 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 holding their own 
but at times it led to giving up 28 points a game. I think this unit will improve. Year two of the Mike Leach era, this air raid offense may be just slightly more efficient, and I think it'll allow this defense to take a slight step forward. Well, the numbers are skewed a little bit also from an all-SEC schedule. That was one of the more difficult all-SEC schedules because they had to play Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, Missouri, Ole Miss. Some of the best offenses in the league were on their schedule. So an extremely difficult schedule for Mississippi State from a defensive standpoint. Every single week they were getting tested for the most part. Seven out of ten weeks of that season they were getting tested on the defensive side of the football. And you talk about the offense doing them no favors. The air raid, three incomplete passes, only takes like 15 seconds. Only takes like 15 seconds, you know. So, And you talk about, you, you've talked about on the show about where Mississippi State was throwing the ball, and it was like somewhere close to the line of scrimmage or right at it. So it may oh, take, yeah, it was it may, within three yards. If you're going incomplete, it may be less than 15 seconds. Heat maps of the Mississippi State route tree has them within three yards of the line of scrimmage in between the hashes. Terrible, terrible look. But that is the air raid. But that's what I'm trying to get at here. They had a turnover margin of minus eight. So maybe the defense wasn't that good at forcing turnovers. But they got sacks. They got pressure on the opposing quarterback. Had 25 last year. That's not half bad. But once again, the offense was turning the ball over an egregious amount of times. When they weren't turning the ball over, it was three and out in 15 seconds. So the defense was on the field for an egregious amount of time. Didn't have favorable field position ever. Despite all that, they still put together... A defense that was only giving up 3.6 yards per carry and opposing quarterback completion percentage of 61.7%. Both of those marks finishing in the top half of the league, if not in the top five, top four, especially when you're talking about yards per carry there. They got eight starters back on that side of the football. They bring back a large portion of their returning tacklers. The only guy that I can see here out of their top nine guys in tackles last season that they lost was Errol Thompson, the talented linebacker who moved on to the next level. He was their leading tackler last year. Yes, he is gone, but they bring back, once again, the next eight, seven or eight guys on that list of tacklers. Mississippi State's ready to go. Can I uh, throw two more stats at you? Mississippi State was second worst in the SEC in terms of their offense in, three, in total number of three and outs. The only team that was worse was LSU. They were worst in the SEC in average first downs per drive. They had they averaged 1.2 first downs per drive. It's abysmal. They were not on the field long, and it left their defense out to dry. Eight starters coming back, non-conference play as well. This defense is going to get a little bit of a boost. Easier schedule, too. Maybe not necessarily in the non-conference. They're going to get tested by Louisiana Tech, NC State, Memphis. Those are teams that are all very capable of beating Mississippi State. We've said that many a time, and I don't know if this defense is good enough to get Mississippi State to a bowl game in 2021 because, once again, they, they were 3-7 and seven after the regular season last year, and their only wins came against Vanderbilt, Missouri, and LSU, which they got LSU at a time where they were abysmal. Vanderbilt was horrible last year in Missouri for some reason they just laid an egg at the end of the year and then their fourth win came against Tulsa so I think they're going to be tested by Louisiana Tech NC State and Memphis and very well they may go one and two across that stretch and just beat Louisiana Tech lose to NC State and Memphis that's a real possibility the schedule did get a little bit easier though in conference play because you you drop Georgia and you still get to play Vanderbilt again this year you get to play Kentucky who is not one of the better offenses in this league until they figure out how to throw the football more consistently the, the schedule did get a little bit easier and that you did shed one of the best offenses in the league from it but it is still going to be a tough ride for Mississippi State just because they are talent-wise at the moment still down at the bottom of the SEC, but defense is not a concern for them really on that end. It's, it's how this offense will handicap the defense. Yeah, I completely agree with you.
Let's move on to fourth here. And this is a team that I think can climb by the end of the year. Could be in the top three, top two category. Auburn. Auburn, the reason that I have Auburn at fourth is you look at the returning production on that side of the ball. They've got seven starters coming back. This secondary, I think, is going to be top three unit in the SEC, at least in my opinion. I think they're going to be really, really good. We just talked about the cornerbacks, how how physical they are, how much depth Auburn has at that position. And then Derek Mason as the new defensive coordinator, I believe he is going to help this unit uh, perform a, a lot better at all different levels of the defense I think the defensive line is going to be able to get a little bit more push I think the linebackers are going to be able to uh, to uh, to not just be physical in terms of stopping the run they were not incredibly efficient Auburn as a unit in stopping the run last season but also I think they're going to learn how to pass uh, be better in pass coverage as well and then you look at the secondary again I think it's going to be borderline elite so it's just when not necessarily statistics but Auburn has the, has stuff going their way there. But in terms of what's coming in this season and what's returning, there's a lot of optimism to believe compared to some of the other defenses in this league that Auburn should be at the top. I'm about to get on my soapbox here. This is a big reason why I think that they could climb in these I'll, rankings by the end of the year. But I'll I'm about to get away. on my soapbox. Oh, no, I want you here for it. <laughs> but I, I do want to step out here and, and make some points because you, you brought up to me today, you know, Brandon Marcello put out his ballot and put out his projections for this upcoming year and you reminded me that he had him at sixth I don't know why that came to your mind today but you you said that he had Auburn at sixth overall in the SEC West that's no good and, and, and just so many people are down on Auburn this year and they want to say it's questions and they don't know anything sure whatever that that's not the soapbox that I'm getting on to today but it, it is about this defense for some reason there's a narrative about this defense that people even in the local sphere say that we just don't know if they're going to be any good this year. They weren't that good last year. By what metric was this defense not very good last year? Now, I shouldn't say very good, but just but that they weren't good last year because good is relative, all right? Alabama fans were pulling their hair out after the Ole Miss game last year, but Alabama still finished number one in the conference and points allowed per game. Good is relative because Auburn finished in fourth in the SEC in total points allowed last season. That is still... That's good enough to win you some ball games, and once again, a big reason why Auburn was still top five in the SEC overall in wins. They were one of five teams that had a winning record last year, yet people are down on Auburn in the SEC for, for whatever reason it is. And, and I understand it wasn't what you were looking at in 2019. It wasn't what you were looking at in 2018. It wasn't what you were looking at in 2017 and points allowed per game. It was 19.5, 19.2, 18.5 in those three seasons. They were dominant defenses. I get that. But then you look at 2020, and they give up 24.7, and folks are concerned about that. And, yes, it was not as dominant. I understand people not being, not being super high up coming into this year. But to say that this isn't going to be a good defense when you return seven starters, all three are pretty much, all three levels are pretty much remaining largely intact. And they were still a top four defense in the SEC last year from a statistical standpoint. Auburn wasn't the only team that was down last year. Everybody was down. Everyone was. The coronavirus affected teams in different ways and just go and look across the sec defense was down and auburn still finished in the top four in that category and points allowed so for me i think yeah, people have to take that from a different perspective and say well auburn wasn't very good defensively last year it's like yeah and you want to know what there were 10 other teams that were a lot worse 
than Auburn on defense last season. And to hold that against this team going into this year where they still have so much talent coming back and so much athleticism, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. So let's head to the phone lines. We got Ed on the line with us, 334-321-1390. Ed, how's it going today? Uh, hey, I'm doing pretty good, guys. But, hey, first I'm going to I'm gonna have to disagree with you real quick there. Uh, by what metric, we were 121st out of 127 teams in third down defense last year. That ain't too good. That's okay? not good, Ed. But on the flip <laughs> side, they weren't letting people in the end zone. No, no, we did. And hey, I, I, I'm agreeing with. I think that our, our I think our defense is going to be better. I sure. think the guys we are, are, have coming in. And to be honest with you, I am glad that Brian Harson is getting rid. You know, Tyron Truesdale. I have no idea about whether he's a problem or not. But as far as Big Cat Brian, now let me just tell you something. You're working for a guy that. Uh, he loses his job because he just did a terrible job at it. And he goes to another company, and you go down and follow him there, you know, and then get there and say, oh, oh this place is just so much better than, than what he did at Auburn. These players are in much better shape. I mean, get real. Gus Malzahn left Auburn in horrible shape, horrible shape. But I think our defense is going to be fine. I think our offense is going to be fine. We've got some tough games. You know, we've got some some really tough games, you know. Uh, but I think the guys are there, and I'm glad that the guys that are getting gone are getting gone. And, you know, uh, you, you know, we all know the reason why, why most of them left is because they're going to have to get off their butt and work. That's what I've heard from other players, okay? Uh, I, I I I have nothing but the only thing I've got real concern about with Brian Harson, and this is real concern about, is with the COVID. Uh, Lane Kiffin just come out and said that you know uh, Ole Miss is a hundred percent shots everybody, Alabama's almost everybody, and and uh, I, you know, man, I hate to bring up something like that, you know, but it could be something very serious. You know, I just, I don't think, I don't know what's going on there, but I, I love what I'm seeing as far as the development of the team and the attitude and everything else and Warrior guys. Appreciate it, Ed. That was Ed on the line with us, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you can get in contact with us. Had a couple of calls this week about COVID-19 and how Auburn's handling it and whatnot. And uh, I'm not too far off. Uh, earlier this week, I think maybe I, – I, I can't remember the exact name of the caller who called in about uh, if this team had to forfeit. I think it may have been Joey had called in about this. But I'm, I'm with you all. If Auburn has to forfeit because there's a COVID outbreak, I will be disappointed as well and, and, and be, you know, obviously upset because Auburn lost a football game. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to see people getting sick either. You know, like that's 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 – that's even more important is just making sure that people are in good health. So I understand there being some uh, some worries there that when you look across the league and there are other teams that are that are in a better spot in terms of vaccinations, I understand some folks out there being concerned, well, what if what if Auburn has to forfeit? Now, vaccines not is not a guarantee that you won't catch the coronavirus. Just look at the NC State baseball program. There were like four or five guys over there that got it, and they had the vaccine, but it is definitely a much better protection 
from a statistical standpoint, obviously, to have it. So I understand the concern there, Ed. I get it. Yeah, and I don't think, honestly, guys, if, if it wasn't a concern last year without a vaccine, I understand if Auburn players aren't taking it, they're going to have to be tested, and that leaves more room for potential for, for potential positive cases. But they were tested like two or three times a week last year. Yeah, so I, I optimistically, for me as a fan, I'm not looking too much into it, and I'm not telling anybody else not to do that. I'm just saying it for me personally. I'm not looking too much into it. I'm just excited football is here, and I do truly believe that I don't. I I don't see Auburn facing many issues in terms of breakouts this season. Well, they didn't last year, and they right. really didn't in any sport. And I brought that up earlier this week as well when we were asked about it. I said, you know, last year when they didn't have a vaccine, they were handling it really well, and nobody really got it at least not reported you know and yeah. Auburn didn't really have any outbreaks in any of the three sports it didn't keep them from it but it's a whole different ball game this year too because now there aren't they're not leaving it open for for rescheduling ball games it's if it's your fault you forfeit you know and so that is a different scenario also things are a lot more wide open now and there, there's not a mass mandate anymore and there's not things aren't shut down like they were last year people aren't keeping their distance as much as they were last year people are a lot more comfortable out in public and are going about their lives which I love I'm happy that people are back out you know out and about doing their thing and living their lives and whatnot I'm, I'm 100% pumped about that I'm glad to see that and so it is a different ball game though because now things aren't as strict as it was when we were going into football season last year people aren't as vigilant and so there is more opportunity for guys to potentially get it. And I think we've got Dan back on the line with us, 334-321-1390. Dan, two calls one day. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good. Now, Go um, for it. Now, I just have a question. Uh, uh, well, just a thought. Okay, so the vaccine, it, it seems like it doesn't pre- prevent you from catching COVID. It just prevents you from getting really sick if you get COVID. Well, so I, I think the players it, are still going to get it if they're going to get it, right? Yeah, but I'll say this too: like it, it is, it, it, like what are the stats like that? It's more than ninety percent effective, you know. So like it, it does do a a good job at preventing you from getting it. It's just not a guarantee. Which I kind of couple that with the flu shot, just because you get the flu shot. And the flu shot, I, I don't think, and I don't have statistics on this, but I don't think it's as effective. Just because you get the flu shot, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to get the flu, you know? So it just it, it provides you more protection against it. But you are right in saying that there are real statistics out there that if you if you do get it and, and you are vaccinated, you're probably not going to get very sick. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just seems like you're going to have to pretty much do a lot of the same things you did last year and just try to keep your team, you know, just just – try to keep them to be smart and say hey you know don't be out intermingling with a whole bunch of people right in the middle of the season just kind of you know <laughs> especially if it's like a you know if you if you know you got the iron bowl coming up or the georgia game coming up or, or sec games yeah stay away you, from you kind of be extra careful i mean i'm sure i don't think the the protocols that they did last year i don't think they've just eliminated them. i mean i'm sure they're still going to test people and everything Sure. Right. But like for a kid that's vaccinated, like, are they going to put regulations on what he can and can't do now? Uh, I'm not saying that you have to lock them down completely. I'm just saying that you have to just encourage them to be smart on, yeah. you know, what they do. But I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's not a good answer. <laughs> There's really not. It's it's a it's a wild time. Dan, we appreciate the call, appreciate man. It. 
That was Dan, 334-321-1390. Yeah, I, I think I think the, the truth to all this, though, is that there's really not a good answer. I understand what Dan's saying, though. If you if you got the Iron Bowl coming up, you got the Georgia game coming up, and your primary focus is playing football, why, why would you go downtown? Why would you even put yourself in a situation where you are getting around a ton of people and you could get it? Honestly, your head needs to be on the football game anyway. You know, and, and like... I didn't I didn't party in college, so it's not hard for me to say that, you sure. know. So like but my thing is I, I would like to see the guys take every you know, if 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 I do not want to see them jeopardize an opportunity to play a ball game, you know, for for reasons that honestly are frivolous. Right, sure. But at the same time though, I'm 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 for if these kids chose to get the vaccine, I'm for them, you know living their life now I do agree like obviously you should be focusing whenever it comes to the Georgia and the Bama games absolutely also another thought I'm curious to see what happens with Ole Miss if they're if their 100% vaccination rate doesn't shut them down because everybody wants to sit here and and complain about oh well if Auburn's getting all these these positive tests they could forfeit yeah and like you like you said like it's not the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting it same thing with the flu so if guys test positive they could still just shut it down just to shut it down so 100% vaccination rate is good and all but like if Ole Miss also catches cases they could also forfeit it's not just an Auburn issue this is just a very up in the air thing I feel like on the flip side of that though and and I'm not disagreeing with you I'm I'm just saying on the flip side of that though there's a less there's a very 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 much lower chance that the Ole Miss football team has a massive outbreak at least that's what it seems that that they would have a massive outbreak that would prevent them from hitting the player threshold that they would need to play a football game because remember there is and we heard this at SEC media days from Greg Sankey and I can't remember exactly what number he said it at but there is 80 percent there's like a minimum number of players that you have to have available to be able to play and a team that's fully vaccinated I would assume is going to have a better shot at hitting that mark even if a couple of guys get it because once again it is better at protecting you from contracting it it's not a guarantee but it is better at protecting you from it and and that's kind of the big that's kind of the big argument I hate talking about it so much I really do but if people want to call in though still continue to call in ask questions it's 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 a weird time and there are different variables and different factors this year than there were last year because guess what we weren't talking about how the vaccine affects college football last year we were talking about how we were all just going to be able to find a way to make it through a season what's exciting is and what's optimistic for the fan base is hey at least we're out there playing some ball this year and there are different things to talk about we're actually talking football at this time than as opposed to last year we were talking is it going to happen yeah absolutely and again i don't think again don't think it's going to be as big of an issue as it was last season I agree with you there. and That may just be hope. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll continue to rank the top five SEC defenses. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Ranking the top five SEC defenses. Mississippi State at five for us. Auburn at four. It's a projection for this upcoming 2021 season. Didn't really get to wrap up what I was saying about Auburn. I'll condense it all here in a concise way. This is my opinion on Auburn's defense this year. Everybody was down in college football last year. Sure, Auburn's defense was not as good as what it was in 2019, 2018, 2017 when it was utterly dominant and it was one of the best units in all of college football. It was not as good. But you look everywhere else, all of their defenses were not as good either. 
And when you talk about where Auburn places statistically and points allowed and not letting people in the end zone, which is the most important metric at the end of the day, because that's how you win ball games, Auburn was still top four in the SEC in that category. Now, granted, Ed does bring up a great point about, and he called in our last segment, Ed brought up a great point about third down defense. That was horrible last year. And in order for this defense to possibly climb up into a top three, top two defense in the SEC, which I do believe it has the potential to, you have to improve that third down defense. You have to start getting three and outs. You have to start getting those momentum plays. You have to start generating more of a pass rush. Auburn's sack numbers were the lowest that we've seen it in a single season since 2016 when they only had 25. Auburn's going to have to improve in several categories on this defense to launch it up there. But still, even with all of those numbers being down, they were lower and yards per carry than we've really seen them traditionally they give up more than four yards per carry since 2015 they gave up a higher completion percentage than 60 percent since 2015 once again sack numbers were down by all metrics the defense was down last year but the point that I was making was everybody was down and Auburn still finished top four in the SEC in the metric that's most important which was points allowed per game which is 24.7 I think you see an improvement of that because it's not an all-SEC schedule. Also, you get the offseason to prepare now. The coronavirus manifested itself on programs in different ways in terms of preparation. A lot of programs we saw it manifest itself in a worse defense. Some programs, though, like Penn State, we may have seen it manifest itself on offense. Wisconsin could have been in that same boat. Preparation, different teams tackled this in different ways, and different units were affected in different ways. Auburn, I think, saw a massive impact on defense. This year, I don't think that you see that because you get the full offseason, you got the spring, and now you also get fall camp as well to get ready for the year. I'm excited about what this defense can do. It's it's experienced, it's talented. I think you see a huge uptick, and if they can improve that third down defense that Ed was mentioning, this ends up being one of the best defenses in the league and in the country. You look at third down defense, and Auburn has been talking this this entire offseason about being competitive against their rivals and, and play, competing in those games and then maybe winning those games. You look at the three biggest games for Auburn last season, at least in my opinion, Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, as far as like really big opponents, you have to be good on third down. Georgia was 9 of 14 on third down. Alabama was 6 of 10 on third down, and Texas A&M was 7 of 11 on third down. You can't allow that to happen this year. You're spot on. Let's get to... Real quick here, well, we only have 30 minutes or 30 seconds, excuse me, left in this segment, then 30 minutes left in the show. We've talked about this defense a lot. I'll go ahead and mention it, and then we'll get to our top two on the other side of this break. I'll just touch on this one really quickly. Texas A&M at three for the both of us. Any one player doesn't really stick out on the Texas A&M defense. That's not what it's about. It's about the collective at Texas A&M for a defense that only allowed 21.7 points allowed per game last year. They bring back nine starters on that side of the ball. I don't think that they miss a beat. Once again, you talk about defenses were down. A&M was not last year. They were up compared to their normal standards. With a very experienced, senior-laden, junior-laden, upperclassman-laden defense, A&M's going to be good this year on that side of the ball. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Ranking the top five SEC defenses. Let's get into the top three. Texas A&M is my third team on on uh on on my list i was uh writing my schedule analysis kind of based on what we did earlier this uh off season just kind of previewing some of these teams and i was going through their units and when you look at the defense as a whole like you mentioned before we went to break they bring back nine starters on this team and there's not one guy that particularly stands out they're just a unit as a whole they're just a good defensive defensive team and they were able to do something last year that they've not been able to do in the last few seasons, uh, the Kellen Mond era, so to speak, is they were they were not giving up a lot of points. Let's go on here to our top two now. We have the same top five, of course. So moving on to two here, Georgia gets edged out by Alabama, and a lot of that has to do with experience. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of in terms of what Georgia was able to do last season, obviously they were a really, really good defense, second in the SEC in total yards allowed per game, behind actually Texas A&M, but they don't bring back a ton of starters. I believe they only bring back four. I might be mistaken. Yeah, they do bring back four starters Depends off this Depends on defense. what you're looking at, four, five. <laughs> but... Uh, all, all that said, there's not there's not a ton of experience returning compared to Alabama, and we will get to in a second. We've talked about that defense quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, but yeah, Georgia was incredibly solid last season. I believe they were yeah they were best in the SEC in uh, opponent yards per play. They were only averaging or only allowing 4.8 opponent yards per play. Just an exceptional defense. They didn't give up a lot of points. They were second in the SEC in points allowed per game. They allowed right at 20. This defense just did a lot of things really, really well. They were best in the SEC in forced three and out percentage. I mean, they were they were just good at just about everything. I know that they lost a lot, and a lot really is on the back end with their defensive backs. But with that being said, they filled the void. They bring it. They they bring in guys through the transfer portal that are really, really good. All ACC selection. Darian Kendrick at cornerback from Clemson it really didn't get better than that at cornerback in the transfer portal he was honestly the best name out there is a big dog in this in this field on defense I mean this this guy's going to be a big deal and then of course somebody that I wish Auburn would have got that would have been without a doubt he would have been the starter at at safety alongside Smoke Monday Tyke Smith coming from West Virginia if, if he wasn't the best player on that secondary at West Virginia last year, because maybe Dreshawn Miller was better, he was top two with Dreshawn Miller at West Virginia. Tyke Smith, there's a lot to like there. So even despite the fact that they lost some studs across the back, they bring in some studs from places unknown across college football, or really places known across college football, because you're talking about Clemson and West Virginia. So statistically, if you're looking for a spot on this defense that may not be as good as they were last year, sure, look at the secondary, because it's still rather thin but these guys recruit so well it's plug and play on defense for Georgia and if you're talking about where the experience is at it's in it's in the part of the defense that's always been the best at Georgia and it's the front seven you still got N'Kobe Dean at linebacker he may be the top draft choice at linebacker this upcoming year he's just as good as some of those guys at Alabama and then you talk about the defensive line you still bring back Devontae Wyatt a senior and then Jordan Davis who went to media day for Georgia I mean there's a lot to like about this Georgia football team they lost all of their starters pretty much across the across the defensive backfield but they bring back a lot in the front seven I would rather bring back all of my front seven players than bring back five defensive backs Georgia lost 
the part of the team that you can replace easier, especially when you have a front seven as good as theirs. And it was not bad at getting pressure. I mean, they have guys on this team that are coming back that had 13 quarterback hurries, another 13 quarterback hurries, 24 quarterback hurries, 20, 14, 13. I mean, the list goes on and on when you talk about QB hurries for this Georgia team. They got sacks last year higher than they typically do. They had 32 sacks last year. That's their highest mark since 2017 when they had 34. They got after the quarterback better than most teams in this league. They were second in the SEC in sack production, actually. Still, yards per carry allowed. It was their lowest in the last seven years with 2.4 Georgia's going to be just fine on defense exactly and as far as their pressure rate they were best in the SEC in times of pre- they, times of not not sacks but the amount of times that they were able to pressure the opposing quarterback I agree with you I really like what this front seven brings they've been able to crank out NFL caliber linebackers like multiple of them clockwork over the past four or five seasons under Kirby Smart Nakobe Dean not an exception there he this, next this this yeah, exactly he next this unit is going to be just fine and then you talk about the secondary and how it might be the least experienced group out of everybody and it might be the weakness if you were to point at one 88th nationally I believe in, in passing yards allowed per game last season but like you mentioned bringing in Darian Kendrick from Clemson bringing in Tyke Smith from West Virginia I mean they're reloading Kirby Smart was actually asked about it at SEC Media Days. It's like, well, coach you've told us in the past that you don't really like pulling from the transfer portal why'd you get these two guys and he's like because it's our biggest need we need guys in the secondary we need to reload and they did yeah they reloaded with some exceptional talent let's move on to alabama top defense of the league we haven't been shy about this yeah best defense in the league by far we've talked about them for the past couple of weeks and we've talked about just the fact that they bring back so many guys that were just so good last season you look at the front seven they've got dj dale coming back the linebackers they've got christian harris and will anderson coming back and then you talk about the household names and that's that secondary josh job is a senior sophomore malachi moore jordan battle daniel wright kool-aid mckinstry who is going to be a phenomenal freshman for the tide this season i actually i didn't realize this until i was talking with bill cameron of the drive yesterday he's actually going to try and play basketball as well kool-aid is which is going to be yeah. interesting to see. You didn't know that? I knew that he was – I had heard before that he was some type of two-way player. It just completely slipped my mind. And now that we're talking about this defense again – Now, will he play? No. But he will be on the team. It's pretty cool. It's pretty dope. <laughs> and then Auburn's going after a guy right now that, that could potentially play both football and basketball. Now, down the line, could Kool-Aid play guard for Alabama – if they have a skimpier recruiting class at guard, sure. If but J.D. The, Davidson's the deepest, not there. Right. The deepest group, though, at Alabama on the basketball team is is guard. Yeah. Got like eight guys that can play, you know? That's that's the majority of their roster. If anything, they're lacking in the front court, which could hold them back this year, but that's a conversation for another day. We're talking football. Yeah, talking about the football, uh, football though, and talking about the household names in the secondary, they are just a lot of household names on this defense, period, and I think we're going to see a resurgence on that side of the football after having, like you mentioned earlier, Alabama fans were pulling their hair out sometimes, and they were still only allowing 19.4 points per game. They're going to be a little bit better than that this season, I think. If I had to pick a unit that I wasn't just like jumping for joy about, it would be the defensive line, but it's still going to be very good in a top three unit of the SEC. I think that there are a couple other defensive lines that may be better than Alabama's, namely Georgia's at this point. But that's only because these guys really haven't been playing. LeBron Ray's coming back from an injury. DJ Dale's only a sophomore. Federian Mathis, he's now stepping into that spot where he's an upperclassman. It's been young up to this point, unproven it could break out this year and it could still be an exceptional defensive line so I'm not saying that that part is bad I'm just saying if I was looking for the weakest 
part of this defense it's the defensive line because the best part of this defense in my opinion it's not necessarily the secondary it's the linebackers no one comes close to Alabama with this level of depth quality depth at linebacker now of course there are other good linebacker groups out there I think Auburn fits into the top three with Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean maybe even second in the league and I think Georgia's right there with N'Kobe Dean you have to give a lot of respect to those to those teams but and and I'm excluding Henry To'o To'o from this conversation I'm just going to say even if Alabama didn't bring in Henry To'o To'o from Tennessee you still look at Will Anderson Chris Allen Christian Harris those three guys right there they very much so deserved all the preseason accolades that they got going into this year 79 tackles for Christian Harris four and a half sacks three and a half tackles for loss a pick six quarterback hurries couple pass breakups you Dang. just the, the list goes on and on that's just one guy Will Anderson had seven sacks three and a half tackles for loss alongside a total of 52 tackles Chris Allen had six sacks seven tackles for loss 41 tackles last year five quarterback hurries it goes on and on Chris Allen's not even listed as a returning starter in a lot of preseason magazines and he did that he was one of the leading sack sack guys last year for Alabama so they're really good now that's not me knocking any of the other linebacking cores out there this is just a really good group according to SEC StatCat and Phil Steele may say something a little bit different Alabama's sack rate was best in the SEC last season their percentage of plays that allowed somewhere between zero and three yards was third best in the SEC. So whenever they they 46% of the time when you lined up against Alabama, you were getting three yards or less. The only other two teams in the conference that were better than them at that were Mississippi State, and that's a credit to the reason why we have them as fifth in our, in our uh, rankings, and then Georgia uh, was best in the SEC. What's so exceptional about Alabama's defense, though, is you're not going to be able to run the ball on them effectively for more than you know three and a half yards of carry so then you got to turn to the passing game but this is one of the few years where I think you can point to the Alabama secondary and you can say man there's no weak points back there there's been years where I have not been super high up on Alabama defensive backs and you kind of look into the NFL and you're like yeah a decent amount of them haven't really panned out but this this group they're talented they were good last year and they were young last year now they're experienced so this is a hard defense to find a weak point in for you to score. You know, there, there are going to be very few teams on the Alabama schedule that scores more than 20 points on them this upcoming year. And that's, that's weird in this day and age of college football. I'm going to switch gears here for the last little bit of our show. Of course, we still got one more break to go. We got about five minutes left in this segment, then another five after that. So about 10 minutes left in the show here total. Let's move on to a favorite segment of mine that we've put together, a variation of start bench cut in on the fence or out we got a new group of teams here, and the way that it works is this. We've got three teams that we bring in per group. You have to say which team that you're in on, which team that you're buying into. You have to say which team that you're more on the fence on and which team that you're out on. And, of course, you may be all in on all three of these teams, but that's what makes the game fun, right? Exactly. got to make you make difficult decisions. So let's start it off right here. Iowa State, North Carolina, Florida, all very close in the preseason coaches poll that came out yesterday. And, honestly – this is one of those groups where I would be in on all three of these teams, but that's not how this game works. So. Exactly. That's, this is what makes it so tough for me, and that's why it was so tough for me last time, as I was like, man, I like all these teams. I don't want to tell uh, say one of these teams that I'm just completely out on. What I will say, though, is I think it goes in order, the, 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 the order that you listed them in. I'm in on Iowa State, I'm on the fence on North Carolina, and I'm out on Florida. I agree with that. That's what I put down. Here's a hot take for you. And really, eh, it is, but only if there, there's a caveat to it. If I didn't believe that Oklahoma was a true bona fide national championship contender this year, 
Iowa I, State would be winning I, the I national think, title. No, I think <laughs> Iowa State would be a college football playoff contender. There are three things you need to win a national championship in this day and age. And the most important part is the first two points. You need a great quarterback. You need a quarterback that can drive the ship. You need a good offensive line. That's going to that's gonna fix a lot of issues for you if you don't have a great running back, which Iowa State does have a great running back with Brees Hall. That's going to give your quarterback time to distribute to maybe receivers that are having a hard time finding their way to get open. If you have those two things, you have the potential to have a great offense, which, as Terry has pointed out to us so many times on this show, great offenses win national championships. Iowa State's got a, had a good offense the last couple of years. I think with 11 starters coming back on that side of the ball, all 11 guys back, they got the potential this year of Brock Purdy at quarterback, Brees Hall at running back, once again, I, I go down the list. Nobody left this Iowa State football team. Everybody is back. Th- this offense is going to be great this year. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball, nine starters come back. They returned 20 of 22 starters. If Oklahoma didn't recruit better talent than them across the top, it's going to be a tight race between Iowa State and Oklahoma. But I give Oklahoma the edge at this point just because you know that they have better talent inside their football facility than Iowa State does. But, man, this Iowa State team is going to be in the mix all year long for that for those playoff spots around five and six. I really like this Iowa State football team. The team I'm on the fence with, if I had to choose of this group, I go North Carolina. I like Sam Howell too much, man, for me to be out. I think Sam yeah. Howell, across his first two years in college football, he he plays a big part in those receivers being so good. Now, that's not me dogging those receivers in North Carolina. They are very good receivers. But Sam Howell has gotten to that point now where he makes players around him better. There, I've talked about that and what Bo Nix needs to do this year to try and elevate the game of his receivers. Needs to be the truck, not the trailer. Exactly. Sam Howell is a truck. He is a truck. One of very few truck drivers in the college football quarterback landscape. What type of truck? Man, he's 18-wheeler. He, he is, he, <laughs> yeah. He's got all the power, man. He is one of the best quarterbacks in this class of QBs in college football. That's why I'm on the fence with North Carolina as opposed to Florida, whereas I don't know that yet about Emory Jones. Mm -hmm. The reason why I'm not all in on North Carolina more than Iowa State is because they lose so much talent around Sam Howell outside of that. There's just not as much experience on this North Carolina team as there is at Iowa State. I think the Iowa State defense is going to be better than UNC as well. There's more to like about Iowa State outside the quarterback who is also very good and Brock Purdy, but I'm with you on the fence with North Carolina there. Florida, they return 10 starters total. They don't hold a candle to the experience of the other two teams. And, and honestly, I would really like to see Florida play one of these two teams in a bowl game at the end of the year. I completely agree with everything you just said. As far as Iowa State is concerned, you talk about the three things you need to win a national championship. The three things for me that you need are an, a, a, a Saban-esque coach that, that just has that type of fire in him and that type of attention to detail. You need Brees Hall and you need <laughs> Oklahoma to slip up. Those are the three things that you need. <laughs> I actually forgot to to mention my third thing on that list because I said quarterback and O-line and then I just start talking about a ton of other variables with these football teams but the third thing is you still do need a good defense you don't need a great defense anymore yes. but you do still need a good defense I thought that's what you were going to say is a defense that does just does not break and they have that 21.4 points allowed per game last year it was still one of the better defenses in college football that's the reason so. why that's the reason why I am kind of on the fence with North Carolina because again Sam Howell is such an excellent quarterback but I believe Carolina was given up over 30 points a game last season and it's it just, was high 20s it was not high over the 20s. 30s okay high 20s but eh, I'm not really sure and then as far as Florida goes they didn't have a good defense last year and they're breaking in a new quarterback just too many question marks for me let's head to a quick break here we wrap up the show when we come back Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
Last segment of the show here. We only got about four minutes left, and then it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's Fox Sports 983. Dot com. It's been such a fun show today. If anybody's missed any of it, I mean, you missed really good content. We continued our preseason depth chart series as well as ranking the top five SEC defenses. We're going in right now on in, on the fence, or out. We've just had a great show today, and if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Just a really, really solid show today. You can go and subscribe, follow those accounts Make sure that you go and check us out and find our podcast. That's a great way to support the show. We're going to head to the phone lines here. One last call here before we get out of here today. Got about three minutes left. 334-321-1390. Spectre, we missed you yesterday. How you doing today, my man? I'm doing good. Uh, let me be quick about it then. Uh, did you watch College Bowl last night? I actually didn't watch College Bowl last night, Spectre. I'm sorry. But this time I yeah, actually I know. know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I know you didn't say anything about it yesterday. Yeah, being on being on last night. But anyway, Alabama ended up playing Michigan, and uh, I did Alabama, see that. Alabama beat them, and so uh, we're in. The, I guess Alabama and Auburn are in the in the in the quarterfinals, semifinals. Uh, Auburn has no no. Uh, next is uh, UCLA and USC, and then that will be that will leave four teams, and then. Auburn's got to play Columbia, I think. Oh that's how goodness! Put it. And then uh, Alabama will play the winner of USC UCLA. You know, this is the college football playoff we're all looking for: Auburn, Alabama, yeah. Columbia, and then one of the LA schools. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. But anyway, I just want to mention that. So next Tuesday night, don't forget to mention it Tuesday day about it. I won't. I won't tell everybody what channel it comes on. Uh, NBC. Sounds good. I'll make sure that I mention that next week. All right, bud. Appreciate later. it, Spectre. Spectre on the line with us there, 334-321-1390. Yeah, that's the college football playoff that we all want is uh, Auburn, Alabama, Columbia, and then insert L.A. school year. Yeah, I don't think y'all know this yet, but in my uh, college football playoff predictions, I actually have the Citadel as my number four spot <laughs> after seeing what they did against Alabama a couple years ago. They that's threw down, good. man. That's good. That's really good. All right, let's do one more in, on the fence, or out. We've got a little bit under two minutes left here. So I'm going to find one that I think is really going to hurt you. I'm don't, driving. Don't do the one that I think you're going to do. You know exactly which one I'm doing. I'm driving the dagger in here. Wisconsin, no. Miami, Indiana. That's 15, 16, and 17 in the poll, and I know you like all three of these teams, so that's why I put it on here. Bro, that hurts. That's what I was going to say. I was like, man, I hope we get to do the Auburn one, but we don't get we do not do Wisconsin, Miami, and Indiana because he knows I like all three of these teams. I... You're going to make me do this. I am. And I hate it. I hate it so much. But I'm going to say that I... It's hard to say who I'm in on. I know who I'm out on, but it's hard to say who I'm who in on. Who are you out on? Indiana. Oh, I'm not out on Indiana. I'm out on Miami. Okay. I will say I'm in on Wisconsin. I'm on the fence on Miami, and I'm out on Indiana. Okay. I went in on Wisconsin. Same reasons probably as you. Schedule is ridiculously easy. Excellent defense. All they got to do is get quarterback play to be 
to be optimal they got to get quarterback play manage the game don't make mistakes Mertz made some mistakes last year if they get them to that point that defense may be good enough for them to win in the Big Ten title game against Ohio State but Wisconsin in a year where they don't have to play Ohio State in the regular season give them to me they might be undefeated going to going to the Big Ten title game because they they genuinely are better than every team on that schedule Mm -hmm. and then I want to I got to go quick here here's why I'm on the fence with Indiana versus Miami they're a more complete team, and I, I would have thought that you would have gone on the fence there. Dang, I just I quarterback just, play. I don't think you're dropping off too much from Derek King to to Penix. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. There's a better defense at Indiana. Only gave up 20.3 points allowed per game. Miami's defense last year was awful. Indiana actually beat good teams last year. Miami did not. Miami's yet to exceed expectations. Indiana has. It's true. It's true. We'll it's, talk about it more tomorrow. Yeah, I do want to talk about it a little bit more tomorrow. We'll be seeing you tomorrow, everybody. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.